0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I have with me Chase. What's up? And we are a paranormal horror podcast that likes to tell each other scary stories all the while we have delicious drinks. And I think this week, I definitely need a drink because it's been a while since we've put on an episode. A little longer than anticipated, but here we are. We're ready.
1: And so, quick story before we get into our actual stories for this week. So, I got my first ER visit of the year out of the way already. (laughs) Um, Oh, good. Me me and Lily have an inside joke that I go to an urgent care or emergency room, something like that, at least once a year. And to be fair, it's often more. So, we're only three weeks into 2022, and I already got one in. I'm not sure if I should be proud about that or not.
0: I don't know either, but... You know, when you started having stomach pains again, I was like, okay, well, it can't be your appendix because that was already done. It's already
1: gone. We, we got yeah. rid of that one, so got it's got to be something one. new.
0: So who knows what it was.
1: So as some of you close to us know, it's been a pretty stressful couple of weeks, which is the biggest understatement I think I've ever said recently. I'm not going to go into that stuff because it's very personal and one of the hardest things I've ever dealt with. But because of all that stuff, we haven't been taking care of ourselves as well as we should have. No. we've We've kind of let some of our focuses slide a little bit so a few days ago i ate rather poorly in fact my consumption choices were downright abysmal i drank a gallon of caffeinated black tea ate greasy fried food from sonic for lunch and then for dinner i made an abomination that would make (laughs) any heart doctor faint so essentially i took some leftover noodles from the fridge covered it in green chili sauce inappropriate amounts of american fake cheese
0: it's not even like Realty. Like it's it's the the process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then I put cut up hot dogs on it. (laughs) And then I microwaved it. So gross. And the result was something that probably had less nutritional value than Halloween candy. I
0: mean, I guess if you really think about it, it's kind of like A mac and cheese? I mean, mac and cheese is terrible for you. It was kind of like that, but this
1: was done super good. But it's
0: not even, right, it's not even that good.
1: I'm pretty sure if we fed this to pets, they might die. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously. It's it's not food by many stretches (laughs) of the word.
0: It's below grade. Right. So
1: within half an hour of eating it, I started getting excruciating pain in my abdomen. I won't go to the details, but by 4 a.m., I couldn't even lie down because of the pain. So I got to go to urgent care. Turns out I had a gallbladder attack. No stones, but inflamed and irritated gallbladder. Uh, they say that everything I consume that day can irritate the gallbladder and with all the stress I've been under my
0: favorite is when you like went off the list. I'm like, check, check. Yep, you had that too. You had this.
1: Well, and the insane amount of stress that we've both been under and the stress. has just been making everything worse. I mean
0: it also is just it definitely weakens your body.
1: The one thing that I did not consume, which is really bad for the gallbladder, is alcohol. I hadn't consumed it in forever. That's which true. has been weeks.
0: Yeah, you've and been really so, good.
1: So I was like, hey, I wasn't drinking. At least that, because like, when my appendix came out, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was drunk on Jaeger. I
0: do remember And once that. again, it
1: was also, that was like after midnight. All my ER visits tend to be like between midnight and six in the morning. Yeah. That's like the danger zone for me.
0: It's so awesome being there as well.
1: So... Everything was just a combined effort of bad dietary decisions, so now I get to change my diet, which, to be honest, was long overdue anyway. <laughs> that it made me realize I'm I need to be a little bit more constructive in how I deal with stress, and you and me have actually done something really awesome lately. You and me, we play video games together, and I can't tell you how much it means to me that... My wife plays video games with me. That's so amazing. And one of our favorite video games is Left 4 Dead, which is this zombie shooter game. It's like almost 15 years old now, I think. I
0: know, and I just won't stop playing it. Yeah, so. the
1: number of hours you put in this is embarrassing. <laughs> but we decided we created this like new personal game in it where we're doing what's called speedruns, where we try to get through the levels together as quickly as possible, and yeah. we're keeping track of it. And that's been a constructive and fun thing to do, to occupy our minds, to go for stress relief, which has been pretty awesome. So apart from eating terrible food, which now has to stop, uh, we've been playing yeah, games. Yeah, we
0: can't have comfort food, so we can have comfort video well, gaming. Well, you can.
1: So she didn't, She, didn't. her body's in better condition than mine, so she can keep having fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get,
0: but I don't want to lead the road down to eat our visits, you know, at so, the middle of the night.
1: So I get to eat food that has no salt, no fat know anything that tastes good. So that's good. It'll be no. easy to lose weight because I just don't want to eat any of the stuff I'm supposed to eat. So yeah, like, you can
0: have dry toast, I think.
1: On the starvation diet.
0: <laughs> and water.
1: All right. So I guess that's kind of the update for us, you know, as things are today. And sorry about last week, but this week we've got some good stories. I'm actually extremely excited about my story. Ooh. I have no idea what you've got prepared for me today. I
0: know. I kind of went a little... um off, not I don't want to say off track, but this one's a very unique story, in my opinion. So, here we go. So, my story for today is called, or is about, Estelle Ridley, also known as Fanchon Moncaire. Now, I have heard uh, somewhere else being pronounced as Fancon Moncaire... But I'm just gonna say Moncare anyway, so does it doesn't really matter?
1: And I shouldn't say any of their names because I'm not even gonna do them either of those ways. It'll be something else.
0: Yeah, it, it probably wouldn't have even been that. It could like all—it could all be though. wrong.
1: I think Ridley's a cool name. I'm gonna just stick with Ridley.
0: Ridley. Okay. Well, I kept writing Moncare, so we'll see. <laughs>
1: all right, go for Moncair.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. So this story isn't just about. Fanchon Moncaire. It's also about her and our accomplice, Ada Danforth, who back in the 1870s would scam people on cruise ships who were traveling between Europe and New York. This duo had the perfect scheme, but a tragic and terrifying ending.
1: Ooh, foreshadowing. Woo!
0: Before I go any further, I do want to give a shout out to the YouTube channel Weird World because they had, even though it was just a, like a small eight minute video, it was packed with information that allowed me to like dig deep. Right, so it was cool that they had all the info, but then I was able to like stem from there, so that was really nice. Uh, Okay, so back to the story. Danforth and Moncair were successful traveling thieves, and the reason they were so successful was because they took advantage of the fact that, one, they were women, and that Moncair had a form of dwarfism that caused her to have the stature of a six-year-old child and to look like one as well. So she would try to even look younger by wearing a ton of makeup, But in reality, she was 40 years old. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. Um, Ada Danforth was a good-looking woman who would easily gain the trust of wealthy travelers. She would strike up conversations with the intent of bringing up Moncair's tragic story. Keeping up with the lie, Danforth would say that Moncair became an orphan after her parents died tragically in a fire. After sharing this sad story, Danforth would follow up by telling them that Moncair was set to inherit a fortune upon her 18th birthday.
1: Wait, wait, wait a minute. This is starting to sound like the Nigerian prince story, but like old school. (laughs) I'm about to get an inheritance, but I need some money to tie me over. (laughs) help.
0: I don't know if that was quite the direction did, they were did going. Did you but
1: ever get one of the Nigerian Prince emails? I,
0: I literally have never seen anything I like that. I got
1: one, and I think I was in high school still at the time. Yeah. And they weren't kidding. It was terribly written, but, you know.
0: I always heard it's like, you know, misspelling words, and it just, it, it feels weird when you're reading it. You're like, what happened here?
1: It yeah. was like that episode of IT Crowd when... Roy is walking and this, like, homeless guy comes up and starts giving him, like, this sobs, <laughs> where he's like, I was trying to, uh, I was on my way home and then my car crashed and then I went to make a phone call, but, like, I-, I left all my change at home and all this stuff. Anyway, he gives him, like, a little bit of money and he said, and that's more than that story deserved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Still got money, though. <laughs> uh, so kind of like that. Basically, it was just to get their, um, tug on their heartstrings, I think. But anyway, so Danforth would go on and say, yes, you know, she, she will inherit a ton of money when she's 18, but until then, I'm her legal guardian. Moncair would then follow up by charming the hell out of the Travelers. She would curtsy and act like a cute little girl. She would be seen carrying her doll and skipping along while smiling and capturing the hearts of her unsuspecting victims. Both Moncare and Danforth had their routine down so well that they always managed to get people to disclose where they kept their jewelry and other priceless possessions. Whoa,
1: super con artist. It, it's like super con it. artists.
0: They're good at it, too. Oh, yeah. Then later, Danforth would sneak into the bedrooms, take the money and jewelry, give it to Moncère, who would then store it inside her doll. The doll was one of the classic creepy porcelain head dolls that you would often see in the 1800s, and
1: were any of the dolls from that time not creepy? I
0: mean, for sure, but I, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean,
1: right? Well, see, even the one that didn't have porcelain a porcelain head, the one that you did just a couple episodes ago.
0: Oh yeah, Rupert the doll.
1: Rupert the doll. He didn't have a porcelain head and it was still creepy. I just don't think they knew how to make dolls that weren't (laughs) creepy back then.
0: It's just, yeah. I I don't understand how it became popular, but they definitely enjoyed it back then.
1: Nowadays, we can make them not creepy and they pee themselves.
0: Yeah. And you can totally feed them, too.
1: What a wonderful day we live in.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. Creepy, creepy doll that she was carrying around. And the idea was that she would take the head off the doll and then she would store the goods in there. Okay. And the reason why they did that was because when they would go through customs, the officers would never check the doll because a little girl, quote unquote little girl would always be adamant to have it by her side. And so they were like, well, we're not going to take the doll from a child. She can just, like, hold on to it while we search their other bags. Um, (laughs) So once they got through... Why is this
1: little girl wearing so much fucking makeup?
0: (laughs) She looks like a weird doll. (laughs) Um... So once they got through customs, both Moncare and Danforth would head to Chinatown in Manhattan to pawn everything. Moncare would also show her true side and head off to the bar where she was described as being a crazy drunk who cursed like a sailor. This behavior might have something to do with the fact that she spent about 40 years as a circus sideshow. To say the least, she didn't have the most easy and fun life growing up. It was very, very rough And she is now rough around the edges as well. (laughs) (laughs) However, her crass and tough personality was perfect when interacting with other unsavory folk. She was described as being harsh and dealing hard bargains that often left the reseller with a small profit margin. So basically, she tried to get as much as she can out of it. Which honestly kind of makes a lot of sense because the type of heist that they were doing was probably taking Pretty small potatoes. No, it was actually the course of a couple of months. So, okay. at the time, boats would take sometimes up to twelve weeks from getting to Europe to the states because they often did detours, and it was just like a very long voyage. So it was quite the commitment. Oh, okay. To to pull something off like this,
1: it wasn't impromptu.
0: Mm-mm, mm mm mm.
1: So, you'd say these guys this are was very criminal planned. masterminds.
0: Oh, yeah, they totally are. This is very well planned out. They, you know, they kind of put their eyes on a target and go for it from there. So, the couple's biggest score was when they managed to collect over a quarter of a million dollars. They basically had the perfect scheme because no Wait, one ever suspected them.
1: Is that quarter of a million adjusted or is that how much they got then?
0: Um, I think it's adjusted. Okay, because
1: that's a ridiculous amount of money back then.
0: It is. Yeah, exactly. They likely could have continued doing this for many years, but for whatever reason, Moncair and Danforth decided to add a, an accomplice. Uh, her name was Magda Hamilton, and she was described as being smart, young, and beautiful. This was likely Moncair's call because in some accounts, it's believed that she was meant to replace Danforth as her quote-unquote guardian. Okay. Uh, nonetheless, Danforth was still in the group, but her role became less crucial. It's safe to say that Danforth wasn't super psyched about it, and to make matters worse, both Danforth and Hamilton had their eyes set on the same man. So there was like this huge rivalry between them. His name was Dartney Crawley, and at the time, he made his fortune as a high-stakes gambler. So he's kind of—I mean, you know what I mean. He was also in for a thrill and a rush yeah, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: not a not a regular way to make money.
0: Right. They saw the dollar signs. It, it was exciting, and they both wanted him absolutely. basically. So this dysfunctional trio stuck it through for a little while until Moncair tried to cut Hamilton out of their original deal. In one particular robbery, Moncair promised Hamilton a 50-50 cut, but instead was only given one-third. Moncair argued that she did most of the work and therefore deserved most of the money. Hamilton was not having it, though. She fought Moncair and even threatened her by going to the police. But Moncare didn't budge and called her bluff, which was a bad move because Hamilton did in fact go to the police. And uh, so,
1: well, it wasn't a bluff then. It was not
0: a bluff, but she, was, like, she was, was calling it. She's like, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Oh, so, thing. Or
1: maybe it was initially a bluff and when it failed, they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I am She's going to She's like, whatever, house.
0: I'm going to do it. So she actually went to the police and became their informant. So the next time that the three decided to do another heist, the police were already one step ahead of them. For Moncare and Danforth, everything seemed normal. They scammed some people, the doll was filled with gold and jewels, and they had just landed in New York, where they were about to sell their bounty. However, just as they were going through customs, thinking, you know, again, everything's cool, the customs officer unexpectedly insisted to inspect the doll. Of course, Monkher and Danforth were caught red-handed and were arrested immediately. Okay, so now that they were caught, obviously, the next step is the trial, and the trial itself was full of drama. As a deal, Hamilton received a very short sentence because she was their informant, and Danforth was sentenced 20 years for being an accessory to the crimes, but Moncare got life. Oh, wow. Yeah, they did not go easy on this one.
1: Man, that's old school. I mean, like, I'm all about punishment, but life imprisonment for stealing stuff? Like, they didn't kill anyone.
0: They didn't kill anyone, but they did steal, like, Hundreds of thousands of dollars over their course Uh, of, I guess that's true, you know, their life of crime kind of thing. So I think they were trying to consider that she's just not going to stop. You know what I mean?
1: They should have just put her in front of a firing range, firing squad.
0: (laughs) Perhaps that would have been better.
1: I was just thinking in old school, like if they're going that hard, might as well just kill them.
0: Isn't that like old, old school?
1: Well, but I think prisons back then would have been, I don't know, I think I might have rather died than spend life in those (laughs) old school prisons.
0: Yeah, maybe. Well anyway, she got life and Munkare was so enraged that at one point during the trial she stood up and shouted at the top of her lungs that she will have her vengeance and kill Hamilton herself. Hamilton was of course not worried about it because, you know, she was gonna be getting out of jail in a couple of months and she knew Moncare was going to be in jail for the rest of her life. Eventually Hamilton did marry Dartney Crawley, so she did win the the guy's <laughs> heart. But the marriage only lasted six months. It turns out that Crawley's passion for a new money-making opportunity was enough to leave his wife.
1: He was in love with the game. He was in love with the game.
0: Right. He eventually moved to California and invested in a mining mentor, so he's out of the picture. Uh, Again, this didn't bother Hamilton too much because the divorce settlement had paid her very well. So again, it's kind of like they're just both shitty people. She just wanted the money. He gave her the money.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And
0: whatever. (laughs) She eventually moved into a mansion in Staten Island, where she planned to live to the end of her days. To add salt to the wound, the mansion was previously owned by Moncair. Oh! <laughs> this <is> so juicy. <laughs> Hamilton did everything well. You know where
1: got to her in prison, too.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, she, like, oh, yeah. She's
1: living in your old house, and she's rich now. I
0: mean, I just can also see Hamilton writing her a letter saying, guess where I am, Like, just (laughs) I I just can picture the drama. Hamilton did do very well for herself in the following years. She made a few investments of her own and maintained an active social life. All seemed well and going perfectly. Of course, this wouldn't be on the show if it stayed that way. Of course. This is where things get a little weird. On one restless night, Hamilton woke up and saw a small figure standing at the end of her bed. It was Moncère. She was dressed in her classic frilly child-like dress that she used to wear when she was conning travelers, and she was holding her trademark porcelain doll. In contrast to her clothing, her face was toothless and her face was sunken in as if she was malnourished and aged beyond her years. Hamilton quickly got out of her bed and ran to the bathroom where she locked herself for the rest of the night. She remained in there and finally came out until the morning. She checked her house and saw no signs of Moncaire. Confused and furious, Hamilton rushed to the police station to report the incident. She wanted Moncaire arrested for trespassing, and more importantly, wanted to know why she wasn't informed when Moncaire was released from prison.
1: I'm betting she's dead.
0: <laughs> well, the police officer was just as confused and assured her that he'd look into it. It was not long after that Hamilton was contacted by the police and was asked to return to the station. There, the officer told her that the intruder couldn't have been Moncaire. Hamilton was outraged and demanded an explanation. The officer then proceeded to produce a newspaper to show her an article that was published a couple of days ago. In the article, it announced that Moncaire had committed suicide in her prison cell. Terrified by the news, Hamilton decided to leave Staten Island immediately. She went back home, packed a few bags, and booked the first ticket out to Europe. Unfortunately, the cruise ship wasn't set to leave until the next day, so Hamilton was forced to stay just one more night. On her last night, she decided to have dinner with some friends to say her goodbyes and then head home.
1: Hey, everyone. Come over. Oh, no. This is before she went home.
0: So, yeah, yeah.
1: She went out. I thought she was inviting friends. I was like, hey, everyone, come to my haunted house for a second.
0: (laughs) you want to stay the night? Okay, I'll get you guys really drunk.
1: (laughs) I'm leaving. It has nothing to do with my haunted house, I swear. Come by.
0: (laughs) You can have the house by. Well, the next day, Hamilton's servants entered her bedroom and found a gruesome sight.
1: Oh, no way. Yeah.
0: So, next to Hamilton's lifeless body was her packed bags and ticket. Her body was sprawled on the bed, half naked. Her eyes were bulging out in a terrified expression, and her mouth was left wide open. The police were never able to find a weapon or any other evidence of foul play. However, the medical examiner had a different story. According to his report, Hamilton had suffocated on her own blood after an object had been shoved down her throat, causing her throat to rupture. Ew. Yeah, the object itself was never found, but there was one clue left behind. There, stuck between her teeth, were clumps of hair. It revealed, when it was tested that it was synthetic, like the kind you would find on a, a doll's doll. head.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> That's amazing. It's
0: so gross. Um, so today it's believed that Hamilton's house is still haunted, and they say it's by the ghost of Moncare based on its stature. And also, by a lot of people accounts uh, when they're walking by the house or whatever, they would sometimes see a woman standing in the window, like a, what they would sure. des- first describe a child, but then realize it was probably Moncair. Or standing on top of the roof, which is just so fucking creepy to me.
1: Does anyone live there now?
0: I don't I don't know. I don't even... I wasn't able to get a lot more information. This could have been just a private residence now, which makes sense if they don't want to reveal anything. Oh, we're
1: talking about, like, New York. You said Staten Island, right? Staten Island, yeah. I mean... Even in Staten Island, real estate ain't cheap, so I can't imagine just an abandoned and house. And it's a
0: really, really big house, or at okay. the time it was, I mean, I don't know if I want to say mansion, but it was sure. pretty luxurious sure. for the time. Um, so yeah, super haunted still to this day. Now, that is the story. That's that's the whole thing that I'm going to talk about, but I am going to give a little more detail on the validity and, and all that good stuff. Sure. So... For the longest time, the story was considered as just another New York urban legend. Back in the 60s, when people would have likely have heard the story for the first time, would have been because of Ripley's Believe It or Not comic book, which also contained other true and unexplained mysteries that we hear to this day. I think most of us would have heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not, so I just want to say, like, in case someone out there doesn't know or isn't as familiar with what that is, um, the franchise was created by Robert Ripley, His goal was to share life's most bizarre and fascinating events around the world. It started out as a newspaper, then expanded into a radio show, a comic book series, then television. And now today you can visit a museum that's filled with photos and artifacts that tell stories of strange, you know, things that have occurred anywhere. Or just things that might be strange to different cultures.
1: When I was a kid, I remember the TV show was on... And whenever we'd go to, like, bookstores where they have the kinds of things with, like, Guinness World Records, there would always be a Ripley's, believe it or not. Yeah, exactly. And and I remember me and my friends, we would always thumb through it to look for, like, I don't know, guys with two heads or, you know, fish people stuff like that. Like It's
0: real, and then sometimes, you know, it had a lot of UFO things, too, so obviously it had the paranormal ghost, but also things like, look at this frog, it has three heads, like, it's insane, right? It was was good
1: (laughs) fun, especially for kids.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. So, for the longest time, people didn't take the story very seriously, and there was little to prove that the story was true. However, there is some literature out there that claimed to have evidence of these people actually existing, and that the stories do have some paranormal elements. Okay. With that said, the information is in a couple of books, all of which required me to purchase them. I'm certainly not opposed to buying them, but I did not buy them, so (laughs) I don't have those books with me. (laughs) Uh, One of them is available on the Kindle, but again, I still didn't. I think it was like eight bucks on the Kindle. I know that's not a lot of money, but here we are. And also, um, I'm super lazy, so that's always getting in the way.
1: <laughs> it's a, <combination> of
0: <laughs> it's a poor combination of of things that just just get in the way. Uh, anyway, so if you are interested in buying it, the one that's on the Kindle is called the National Directory of Oh, sorry, no, yeah, yeah, the National Directory of Haunted Places, written by Dennis William Hawk. And it was published in nineteen ninety four, so make sure you get the right one. I think there's another one that was revised and added information okay. later in the early two thousands. I don't know, so that
1: book might be worth us for eight dollars on the Kindle. Yeah, exactly. I, I do
0: think it's worth it, but you know, as I was writing it, I realized this book existed and I'm I was almost done. I'm like, eh,
1: I'm sure it's <laughs> fine. It's
0: fine. <laughs> so that one, yeah, like I said, it's good to go on the Kindle. And if anyone does go out there and read it, please let me know if this stuff is actually in it because it I think it, it's supposed to contain the news article. Oh, okay. And also information about the police report that Hamilton made. Uh-huh. So I'm very curious about that. I do kind of
1: want to read it cuz to me it sounds like I'm betting that before she killed herself, someone she knew was getting out of prison like she found someone's like okay. I have some money stashed here or something like this. Yeah. Be like, you can have this money if you go kill this person. And like, I want you to like get a doll and shove it down her throat so she dies.
0: But see, the thing is, is that whoever went in there must have also had some sort of foreign dwarfism. I mean, I doubt they would have gotten a child. So, because Hamilton described her That's like true. it was her. So, I don't know. That would have been quite the... The project, I Maybe think, there were a to lot mimic. of
1: kids in jail back then.
0: Yeah, they were like, "All right, I'll do it for some pennies. I don't care. <laughs> it's better than cleaning chimneys. I don't know."
1: Uh <laughs> children prison systems and the horror stories they produce.
0: They're like, "It's worth It's better than working in the factories." <laughs> Give me that mask.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! So anyway, yeah. Uh, so this this is one of the stories that I came across, and I've been wanting to do, It's just because I know it was more true crime, I was a little nervous, but it does have. A paranormal heavy ending, and I thought it was appropriate.
1: Well, uh, you need to find out if this place still exists because if we're ever in Staten Island, which I highly doubt will ever happen, yeah. But if we happen to be in Staten Island, I'd like to go to this house.
0: Heck yeah, I agree. I think it's. I think it would be a really nice reason if we're even in the area.
1: All right, that was a solid story. Uh, I've got I've got some coming up for you as well, but Yay. I think we should take a quick break, and yes. we'll be right back.
0: Okay, so we're back. I have my new glass of wine, and Chase has a fresh glass of water. So I think (laughs) we're ready.
1: (laughs) So today I've got a bit of a special situation because I'm going to be mixing two of my regular segments. It turns out there's been some recent UFO activity here in Albuquerque. That's right. Get ready for Burke Encounters. (laughs)
0: The perfect blend to terrify the hell out of me.
1: So, last May, videos started popping up online from several Albuquerque residents. These videos all showed the same thing a group of bright lights in the night sky moving in synchronized formation. Many of them postulated that these were possible UFOs. Thankfully, several of the videos were high quality footage no shaking, no unnecessary blurriness, just clean footage.
0: Nice. Which is all
1: you really need. Well done to debunk a UFO sighting. No!
0: <laughs> or yay!
1: As one could imagine, these lights were in fact moving, but they formed a long line across the sky. It was pretty much universally explained to be Elon Musk's Starlink satellite program. Oh,
0: uh, yes.
1: Which will forever change the way the night sky looks to us.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, unless yeah.
1: they all, the whole thing crashes and they give up on it, but... sure. <laughs> We can also assume that this is going to lead to many more false UFO sightings before it becomes common knowledge. I expect years to come, people are gonna be like, look at all those UFOs, there's a bunch of lights. But if they're if you see UFOs and it's in a line and they're moving across the sky mm-hmm. at the same speed, trust me, it's just the Starlink satellite. And this yeah. is like anywhere on Earth. Yeah, like you can just see it. And although this is a debunked report. Albuquerque has a long history of UFO sightings. Roswell can't take all the credit for our state's mysterious (laughs) past. So today I'm going to discuss not one, but two UFO sightings from Kirtland Air Force Base. Before I go into them, I should briefly explain Kirtland Air Force Base to those not from New Mexico. Kirtland is the sixth largest air force base in the U.S. and was established in 1939 as Albuquerque Air Base. I can't quite explain how massive this area is. It's pretty much makes up one whole side of a large portion of Albuquerque. This mm. this air base is massive. Yeah, it butts up against our international airport known as the Sunport, and within it. Within the Air Force Base lies Sandia National Labs, established in 1949 and a key facility in the development of nuclear weapons, high technology, and various other likely classified things. The reason I'm telling you all this is because I'm trying to convey how important this base was, how secure it was, and how it would not be full of random nobodies, even as far back as this first story goes.
0: Ooh, cool. Okay.
1: So imagine, if you will, going back to 1950. The airbase had been in operation for 11 years, and many years before that, before it was taken over by the military, it was an airfield, So, mm-hmm. but as a military base for 11 years. The highly secure Sandia National Labs had just opened the year prior. Bright and early on March 22nd at 11 a.m., something was flying in the mostly clear skies above the airfield. 11 people all members of the 4,925th Atomic Test Group saw an unidentified object. I'll read the description to you from the now declassified military report on the event. So this is the actual report that the military filed. I'm just so they
0: released a report and it wasn't all redacted?
1: So, um, and I don't think they meant it to be, like... A whole bunch of stuff got <laughs> declassified many, 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 many years later. Okay. And I just don't think they knew what a lot of this stuff was. I think it was just a bunch of people who said, oh,
0: Get rid of it. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying.
1: So here here is the what the report said. Okay. Quote, On the twenty second of March nineteen fifty, Roper and ten others observed what they believed was a flying disk at twenty five thousand to thirty thousand feet northwest of Kirtland Air Force Base, New Mexico. Shape similar to flying wing aircraft and tan in color, turning to brown around the edges. When first observed, object was traveling in a northwesterly direction, then turned north and disappeared with a tremendous burst of speed. Object left no vapor trail, although aircraft in the vicinity were leaving vapor trails. Reliability of informants, reliable. Mm-hmm. End quote. Oh, nice. So further information on the sighting suggests that despite being so far up in the sky, still appeared to be the size of a golf ball were you to hold one out at arm's length in front of you. So like if you held a golf that's ball in impressive. front of you, that's how big it looked in the sky and it was supposed to be 25,000 yeah, feet in the air. that's so... That's massive.
0: Fucking big. That's massive. That's suddenly scaring me more. Okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs>
1: I also think it's important to note that the other aircraft were noted as being in the vicinity. At the very least, this gives a point of reference to the observers in which to relate the motion, size, and structure of the UFO. It should also be noted that the report mentioned no sound was perceived by the observers, which is not too alarming considering most man-made aircraft at that altitude would not necessarily be audible to someone on the ground. Sometimes you hear things, but usually they're a lot lower. I also think we should acknowledge that not only did the report define these people as reliable, but it included their relevant experience. These witnesses were pilots, navigators, radar staff, officers, nuclear project engineers. I mean, the list goes on of what their qualifications are. These are smart. These are people who got into highly important positions. Yeah, I
0: mean, they're not—they're not idiots. This is Just the kind wanting. of people that weren't like elected into something; they earned it.
1: Yeah, essentially, they're not people like me.
0: Right. These people's
1: opinion matter.
0: I mean, they're not people like me who wouldn't even spend the 9 bucks for information <laughs> on a Kindle. So these are people who are like, who give a shit? And this is our life.
1: So this UFO was not witnessed by the general public. In fact, people didn't even know about this incident until many years later when Daniel Wilson discovered the files, these files, on a microfilm created by Project Blue Book mm-hmm. way later. So... Is one of those things that I think when they were just releasing and unclassifying stuff, there was a lot of stuff in there people didn't actually look through. So this report may not have—they may not have even known this report was even being released. They had right. no idea.
0: That's that's the, awesome.
1: The site in which this UFO was spotted was right above Site Able, an area known for its work in nuclear weapons at the time. Maybe this is a coincidence. It should also be noted that this military report did not mention an answer or an explanation. It is essentially an unsolved sighting. I feel like the only reason it was forgotten is that it wasn't a recurring UFO sighting. It was a one-and-done sort of thing, and I find this particular sighting to be extremely intriguing because it doesn't have to deal with the public perception or press or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was important enough to warrant a report, but since there was no outside pressure to explain it, they didn't feel like they needed to, and they seemed very able to consider it an unexplained UFO. It's almost as if giving an explanation would have cheapened it. But either way, I'm feeling movie plot here. What if it was humans <laughs> from the future coming back to check out the stuff that was happening? Alright, calm down base? sphere. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> just saying.
0: Which is, by the way, one of my favorite books ever written by Michael Crichton. I don't know which one I like more, but I would probably say it's between Sphere, Timeline, A drama to Strain. And The Lost World.
1: You should have just listed every book he wrote, because that's where
0: you're at. And... Just kidding.
1: (laughs) I think the only one that you weren't crazy about was the train robbery one, right?
0: Uh, No, it was Congo.
1: Oh, Congo. Yeah, well, the movie sucked, too.
0: The movie was really awful, except that whole sesame seed thing is, like, engraved in my fucking brain. I have no idea why since I was a kid. And so, anyway, but aside from that, yeah, it was whatever.
1: Now, the book timeline is unquestionably one of the greatest books I've ever read. Fiction, I, like, fun yeah. fiction books I've ever read.
0: It's it's so amazing. Recommended it it, to everyone. But see, it really does talk about, like, the whole, I know, we're, like, totally getting derailed from your story, and I will talk about that after. But, honestly, timeline really talked about, like, the... True, like science, you know, on the surface, science that we could understand of time travel and what that would indicate unto the human body on a physiological level. I mean, what some
1: people thought or believe is the way time travel would work.
0: Yes, exactly. It was like putting it in a true form. It wasn't just like, blink, oh, magic. No, it just, it was really breaking it down. And
1: there were parts about it that were actually genuinely horrifying.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, Love that book. Anyway.
1: So I like this story so much because most people didn't even know about it until very recently. Even though it happened in 1950, mm-hmm. uh, since the military didn't have to explain it to the public or the press or anything like that, it's just a pure report of qualified people seeing something bizarre, seeing a UFO in the middle of the day. Like, this was 11 a.m. And so,
0: m. if I remember correctly, you said 1950?
1: 1950, March uh, March 1950. And it was okay. in the morning, bright, bright sky, mostly clear. They said it was and partly cloudy. And no one cloudy. reported
0: anything else. Like, no, like, you know, regular folk or anything like that. No, nothing, nothing else was seen. Else. And
1: this was at an airfield. These people are used to seeing planes and stuff.
0: And not just planes and stuff, but they're on schedule, right? Like they're yeah. on a they're somewhere expected yeah. expected to land or whatever. And
1: it's always easy to say, you know, at night, oh, you saw Venus is what they like to do. Okay, not, Venus <laughs> in the middle of the day. That's not what you're seeing. Right. And it's moving around. So anyway, I thought that was pretty intriguing. And it's not the only Cartland Air Force Base UFO I'm gonna talk about today.
0: Oh, there's a second one. I love it when you have a secret one.
1: So, our next sighting is also at Kirtland Air Force Base, like I just said, but this one is a very different incident. We need to go forward seven years to November 4th, 1957.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I saw your little. It was one of those things where go. I said 1957,
1: and for some reason, it just didn't sound like the right way to say a date, and I had to like redo it. My sometimes when you say a word, it just doesn't sound right. You That's can say
0: 1957.
1: Right yeah, in the year of our Lord, <laughs> 1957. Yeah, around ten at night, two CAA control tower operators, an RM Kaiser, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, and an EG Brink witnessed what they described as an unidentified dark object with a white light underneath. They said it was the, quote, shape of an automobile on end,
0: end quote, whatever
1: that means. It flew across the airfield (laughs) at a very low altitude and moved as if it were going to land on one of the runways. But then the object reversed direction, not something common in planes, and then rapidly ascended up to 300 feet... On a trajectory around 120 degrees, only to then move into a deep ascent and go almost straight up. It then disappeared into the clouds above. The object was detected on radar.
0: Oh, nice. Okay.
1: Now, the official report on the subject was filed by the Condon Committee. Condon Committee? I don't know how to pronounce that.
0: Is it like condon, but with an N?
1: Yeah, and it's named after a guy. That was his last name. Oh, okay. So Condon Committee. A group created by the Air Force to investigate UFO activity. I mean, the military apparently created millions of groups, like the Project Blue Book and everything. Well, of this course This was just did. one of them.
0: They probably had multiple at one time just to have them out there. You know, they're like, okay, this sounds like a group B in the same genre. Right, to right. To go out, yeah.
1: Just sounds like a good way to waste money. I'm just right. saying. <laughs> the... Condon report suggests that it was a private aircraft that likely realized it was on the wrong airfield, panicked, changed course, and left. The report also claimed that the radar readings indicated nothing out of the ordinary in terms of speed or maneuver of the UFO, but the radar crew was not formally interviewed and the readings not formally recorded. However, this report has been deemed problematic by many. One such man was James E. McDonald. Uh, who wrote a series of articles titled 21 Years of UFO Reports, which was published in 1970. He decided to investigate the case further and conducted multiple phone interviews with the two CAA operators who witnessed the UFO. In his interviews, both men assured him that, quote, the object was so unlike an aircraft and exhibited performance characteristics so unlike those of any aircraft flying then or now That the private aircraft explanation was quite amusing, at the very least
0: for its size. I'm assuming is what they're referring to. I think
1: they mean in general.
0: I mean, like drones, basically.
1: Not in 1970.
0: No, no, no. But you said then, even to now.
1: Well, but this this was done in 1970, so this is them saying now. This quote was from their interviews in around
0: 1970. Gotcha. Okay,
1: that. So they just meant they improved jet fighters at the time. So okay. This is this. Yeah. 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 To that point, neither of them had even heard the official explanation that it was a civilian aircraft. In fact, neither of them were contacted by the Condon Committee during the investigation for their accounts of the UFO encounter. What? They claimed that this was the first time they'd been asked about the event since the initial inquiry by their captain immediately after the incident that went into the military report. During his interview, he found he actually found out more information that wasn't in either reports, the the original (laughs) or the Condon one.
0: They're so good at this. They
1: apparently, and you could always say maybe you know their false recollection and create new memories. But anyway, this is very interesting. Yeah. The these two guys apparently witnessed it. Like they had binoculars with them, the binoculars that actually had a seven X magnification, so they were able to get an even closer, better look at it. They stated that the object quote, had no wings, tail, or fuselage, was elongated in a vertical direction and exhibited a somewhat egg-shaped form, end quote. It was was possibly up to 20 feet in height. That's, I guess, what they meant by, like, the automobile, but... And and this would have been in the 50s, so the automobiles were a lot more rounded back then. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of where they were going with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, like,
1: yeah, it wasn't like a... Toyota crawl from the 80s, which was just like a sharp block, but <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I can see that.
1: They also claimed that they clearly viewed the object at one point stopping and hovering for around 20 seconds up to a minute. Its rapid ascent was allegedly faster than any known planes and possibly reached 45,000 feet per minute. McDonald doesn't expressly state that this means what they saw was an alien craft. He merely attempts to demonstrate that this simple interview proves that the official explanation was based on flawed or incomplete information, and that makes the report problematic. You can take that as you will, but I feel that it is important to note that a lot of these reports are the result of bureaucratic organizations and therefore will suffer from misinformation at every weak link. I don't know what happened in Albuquerque in 1957, but it sure seems like something far more interesting happened than the official report suggests. So That's cool. So we have two UFO sightings and only one had an official explanation that it was some other plane, but the two people who witnessed it said... That ain't no plane. And these are guys who, this is their job, is to look at planes. They
0: literally see this every day. They're like, I've never seen this before. Why would it be different all of a sudden?
1: And it's also important to note that he interviewed both these people separately because they don't even live in the same states anymore. They're doing other things. This is 1970. One was in California and one was in another state. So he conducted these interviews separately. So it wasn't like they're two bros who came with this story. (laughs) They really didn't have any contact with each other. Which And their stories were corroborating.
0: Yeah, because, you know, obviously recalling information from that far distance, like seven, how many years was it, you said? Oh, no. Oh, from 57 to 70s.
1: Yeah, so 13 years. Okay.
0: So that is quite the time frame. That's a significant amount of time. If it was a made-up story, let's say they were bros and they're like, it'd be hilarious, which obviously doesn't seem. Stuff will probably change. Yeah. So even on a lie, it's harder to remember a lie that didn't go anywhere than just knowing the truth. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, yeah.
1: So I just think that it was very interesting. So, you know, right now, you know, nothing happened. People weren't abducted or anything, but two UFOs were seen at this Air Force base and they both seemed to be obsessed with going straight up into the air. Yeah. And they both seem to be...
0: Was know, it in the same area? Like, I'm both just in up Kirt, abo-
1: Both above Kirtland Air Force Base. Okay. But, but the Air like, Force Base is so massive, so right, no, it wasn't the exact same That's kind of what
0: I meant. All right. But yeah,
1: but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, looking at like the Earth.
0: The Earth, um, right? yes, it was
1: in the same place <laughs> that these happened. So, oh my anyway, God. I just thought these are pretty exciting because this just popped up on my news feed with this really great picture that I hope I can put in our uh, our Instagram image post because yeah. it looks really not like anything they describe, but it's a really <laughs> fun looking image. So I'm like, yeah, UFO picture,
0: do it. Yeah. Um, um,
1: but anyway, so two UFOs here in Albuquerque, they're they're after us, and they seem obsessed with the military base.
0: They're so obsessed with Who me. wouldn't be?
1: That's where... I mean, I don't remember the exact story, but I remember growing up and everyone would tell the story that there's, like, so many nuclear bombs stored in the mountains, like, right near us. Yeah. So, like, there's all these vaults and like bunkers. You always hear
0: that, yeah. I've heard so, it. I think I heard it. That was, like, one of the first things people told me when I moved here. I'm like, uh, thanks, I guess.
1: And as far as I know, there's truth to it, but the specifics, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. so we live here and there's all these, like, secret top secret bases and military stuff and everything going around it's actually kind of really cool and exciting and so now that ufo stuff's happening here too and it's being seen by the uh, by the military and these like intelligent smart people that know about airplanes yeah this is exciting to me
0: just obviously been like no i know what's happening but they don't so that's impressive because they know everything uh yeah so i guess what i'm hearing here is that we gotta we gotta move baby we gotta get the hell out of here <laughs> we
1: gotta we gotta, we gotta, bolt. <laughs> we gotta I, go i think we should stay actually um we're in that we're in, we're trying really hard to buy a house right now and we don't know if it's gonna work or not but the the one that we're trying to get is a lot closer to the base
0: i know it's hilarious I'm it's like, a lot closer why? to
1: all this we'll have a good view
0: how did i end up here in life
1: i'm just gonna sit on the back porch with like my binoculars and be like i'm gonna find me one of them egg things <laughs> So that's it for my burge encounter. Counter, 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 But that doesn't mean I'm done yet.
0: What? What do you a, mean?
1: I have another little quasi story. I, I don't even want to call it an update because it's not me updating. It's just something interesting and it's relating to a previous story, and I think you guys like it. And so this oh, okay. one, this one's about ghosts.
0: Oh, well, here we go.
1: So thanks to Reddit, I found out about a YouTuber <laughs> by the name of Pete Montzingo. He has quite the following with over like 3 million subscriptions to his channel. It looks like most of his videos have to do with his relationship with his mom. uh, And it either involves heartwarming or funny subject matter and like innocent pranks and stuff like that. I mean, it Mm -hmm. seems it seems fun and all that. Except, you know, when I got to his YouTube channel because on Reddit, they're saying, oh, you got to see this one video. His most recent video is what caught my eye because it's nothing like his other videos. And it's more like the stuff that we like. Apparently, this guy lives across the street from the Cecil Hotel in <gasps> Los Angeles. What? Yeah,
0: that's a that's a hell of a view. Right? Okay.
1: So, longtime listeners might recall this story, but Lily covered this infamous hotel way back in episode fifteen. It was timed rather conveniently. Did you
0: look that up? Because I would not have I remembered. Did. Okay,
1: I <laughs> did. I didn't remember it off the top of my head. Okay, but I sounded like I knew. Yeah, this I was, was like, great.
0: nice way to go.
1: So it was timed rather conveniently with a Netflix documentary about the hotel released right around the same time as that episode. If you're unfamiliar with the story, one, I highly recommend you either check out our episode or find out about it. I think I did a good job. She did an amazing job. You
0: guys should totally listen to it.
1: But this is just a quick rundown. So the Cecil Hotel is considered one of the most haunted hotels in Los Angeles. Most people know this hotel through the horrifying death of Elisa Lamb, who was found dead in one of the water cisterns at the top of the hotel. Her body decomposed in the tank and resulted in many residents drinking, showering, and otherwise being exposed to contaminated water for quite some time before her body was discovered.
0: Wow. Spoiler to my episode 15 story.
1: Is that a spoiler?
0: (laughs) I'm just kidding. No. (laughs) You're good.
1: Beyond her death, however, there have been many other notable things that haunt the hotel. From serial killers to ghosts, murders, suicides, this hotel is not short of reasons to be haunted. I highly recommend you check out the episode, like I said earlier. It's one of those stories that just sticks with you for years. But back to this Pete guy. He apparently lives across the street from the hotel, and he made a short video about it, and I'm here to tell you about his experiences. I'm essentially telling you what he says in the video, but... His personality and my personality are very, very different. I struggle sometimes with some of these YouTube personalities. Sure. So I'm filtering it through chase mode.
0: Okay, let's do chase version.
1: For the last few years that he has been living in his apartment, he claims that the Cecil has been closed. And if I'm not mistaken, when we looked at your story, that's actually pretty accurate.
0: Yeah, there was like massive, I can't remember if it was like construction or something like that, and they were anticipating to open, but the pandemic had like other plans. Yeah, there's a lot going
1: on that, but it just doesn't seem to be a normal hotel. And when you look online, if you want to try to book dates, it like once you select the dates, it says no, unavailable, because everything's closed. It is, yeah. He does note that there have been several film crews there at different times due to some shoots. You know, sometimes, like, some ghost shows will go there or maybe other movies. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, momentary things. You can tell they have, like, the catering van out And they have, like, a trailer
0: and, probably parked yeah, in front of it. it's pretty obvious that right. a film
1: crew's there. But, you yeah. know, that's not all the time. It's usually just for a couple days. But other than all of that, the hotel is closed. He even shows footage of the locked front door and the empty lobby inside, proof that there really shouldn't be people apart from some minimal staff in the hotel. Yet through the nights, lights will randomly turn on.
0: Oh my God, really? And
1: he will never see anyone in the windows. Curtains and drapes will also regularly have shifted throughout the night with (gasps) no other evidence of people staying in the hotel. Now, it does make sense that maintenance could easily go into the rooms to do some work, because if they're trying to do renovations and everything while it's closed, that makes sense. That's fair, yeah. But it seems unlikely that cleaners would be doing this. After being closed for several years, I'm pretty sure all the rooms would have been taken care of by now. And we can also assume since it's closed, there shouldn't be any tenants. But he claims to have seen an old man smoking a cigar in one of the windows, which is weird, because one, they shouldn't even be smoking in a hotel. That's kind of like the big thing. That's
0: actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, is there any, like, indication that it could have been, like, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, squatters or uh, people that just broke in? But Maybe, I don't I but might... I don't
1: I don't think just sitting at the window smoking a cigar is really what you want to do if you're a squatter in a hotel is supposed to be
0: You closed. might want to be a little more discreet, for yeah. sure. Yeah.
1: So, this old man was staring right back at him, he claims.
0: Uh, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> but he also claims at the time his apartment was pitch black, so he shouldn't <gasps> be able to see him. So... On account of his lights being off, he decided to sneak to another room in his apartment to look oh out the God, window.
0: No. And
1: the guy was still staring no. at him.
0: Help yeah. me.
1: And then I think he said like the next day there was nothing there. Like no evidence that the Ew. guy was there.
0: Oh my God. That's so amazing.
1: So he even suggests that he feels like the ghosts or apparitions might be watching or listening to him in his apartment as well. He claims he saw a water bottle fly across his room without any obvious <gasps> cause or provocation. And he also claims one night to see the fire alarm went off in the hotel. And when he told his friend he feels like the ghosts were watching him, his fire alarm went off. <gasps>
0: Oh my And he my specified
1: God. it was only the fire alarm in his unit And not in the whole apartment complex that went off
0: Okay that's just ridiculous
1: He seemed legitimately freaked out in the video And rather comedically claimed to burn Sage in his room afterwards As a precautionary measure He's like Sage <laughs> It's pretty great <laughs> so I've always been worried about the idea of living in a place that was haunted. You know, when we're looking at houses, one of my first thoughts when I go through there is doesn't yeah. feel haunted or anything weird like that. But I don't think I've ever really considered how hard it could be just living near a place that's haunted.
0: That's true. I mean, like, I, I, mean I, I hey, yeah. I told you, like, I think at our last house that we were renting. For a long time. For a very long time. For like six, five years. I can't remember now. And I was convinced, not our house, but the neighborhood had something going on.
1: There's a, there's like an there, old, maybe yeah, angry thing there. because
0: sometimes I'd come home from the gym and it'd be really, really dark. And I would like have legit fear of leaving the car to, you know, to the front door, which was like... There'd
1: be times sometimes you'd call me when you're in the car and ask me to come to the door. I was like, this is it. not
0: cool. And I... I legit don't have like a lot of I don't I don't want to say it's like maybe it was a ghost or something but maybe there was someone out there because it wasn't like the safest neighborhood it was pretty close to some like busy streets and you ha- kind of had some people like you see some filtering h- hobos through. walking yeah up and down. like some homeless people some like uh some crazy people like literally talking to themselves I don't even know but yeah so I it could have been a very just bad vibe I was getting but either way I think there was something going on I don't know
1: I agree just and, me. and- just as a heads up, me and Lily recently had a debate as to whether or not hobos is an okay term. What did we watch and some guy actually used the term hobos and i are like, well, if he uses it.
0: Um, I don't know. So, oh, oh, um, oh, well, I don't remember the video, but I do remember looking it up and it just basically means, oh, shoot, it's like a...
1: Well, yeah, there, there's old school terms to describe, yeah. like, if you said bum or hobo, they actually specifically meant things to have to do with...
0: It was basically your job,
1: and if you had a home, if like some people were like you didn't have a job or home. One is you didn't have a home, but you did have a job.
0: So hobo, I think, meant you were kind of like a vagabond, but you were essentially homeless. But at the same time, you were working, and sometimes that meant like different odd jobs that didn't necessarily pay you. Very mobile, but you were housed or. You were compensated in some other you way. You lived
1: in a tent or a car, but you yeah. still worked and you got paid. So, I think bum means you don't have either. You don't have a job or a I think a house. that one
0: is more derogatory because I think that means like you actually... You're like lazy or something. I don't know.
1: But anyway, so... <laughs> I use the word hobo to describe hobos, and I hope that's not offensive.
0: <laughs> I hope it's not offensive, especially because it's like a really short word, and I'm just like... It's just, easy. It's
1: just been... I've heard it my whole life. It's just... It was just a way to describe homeless people, I guess. Yeah,
0: I think I remember literally saying it's hobo offensive and the results were just definitions and then some people saying homeless is probably better, but if you're going to really go there, just go vagabond. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see what I do. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I just felt I wanted to give that little update because when I found that video, I was like, this is great. We got to talk about it because we've already talked about the hotel. It would have been great if we hadn't talked about the hotel to include this, but it was just something extra. So if you guys want to check out that video of his um once again his name is pete montzingo and pete is spelled p-e-e-t as opposed to p-e-t so oh, okay. p-e-e-t um he seems like a nice enough guy and all that i this video was just funny because he seemed legitimately scared and if this stuff happened to me i'd have been scared too. i would
0: have been terrified no way and so does he live there like alone across looks like i think so okay. he just
1: lives there by himself i was himself.
0: gonna say like you know i don't really know the real estate in Los Angeles at this point but I feel like he could maybe get a better location
1: <laughs> I'm sure he will at some point but yeah. it made for a video and sometimes yeah. if you're selling content you need this is good maybe stuff maybe
0: this is good yeah maybe he wants he wants the drama I don't know I'm more uh, no thank you
1: but yeah alright so those are the stories I got for you today
0: yay well thank you I actually really enjoyed all of them it made me a little more scared of living in New Mexico thank you <laughs> And too and
1: maybe scared to live in certain parts of LA too.
0: Yeah, and certain parts of LA. So, maybe nowhere is never safe. Never again. Yeah, nowhere is safe. So, planet Earth, whatever. <laughs> and yeah, I'm really glad you did a, an update on the Cecil, or rather, continuation of it, because it just goes to show that even though it's closed, it's still very much haunted, which I like. Uh, yeah, so I guess that brings us to the end of our episode. I'm really happy you guys were able to stick around and enjoy it with us because it's been a while since we put another one out again. And just two weeks, but just, yeah. just 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 whatever, it's fine. Um, anyway, if you guys have any suggestions, like you've had time now to stew around and and figure out if you have a story that you want us to tell, and if you do please let us know at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that email address to let us know your personal experience and we'll share it on our next episode for listener stories.
1: Absolutely, which is probably coming up pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I think we're supposed to do one like... In spring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one every season is good. So, tears to you guys. I hope you guys had a really good time and had a really delicious drink. And if you had way too many because it was just so delicious, well then don't worry because the best cure for a hangover
1: is fear.